our first Christmas card in our mailbox arrived the day after Thanksgiving. We couldn't believe how OCD, I mean, how well prepared <laughs> and thoughtful these friends were to have that ready, uh, you know, before Thanksgiving and out in the mail. And since Thanksgiving, that trickle of cards has turned into a steady flow of well wishes and pictures and notes. You know, it's one thing to get a Christmas card from that cousin you haven't seen in 20 years, a cousin you grew up with playing all summer long. It's quite another thing to see him at a family gathering for Christmas dinner and to grab a big hug and to see that old familiar smile and to swap stories from years gone past. Christmas cards are nice, but sharing life together in the flesh, enjoying his presence, there's no substitute. Some of you have college kids away from home for the very first time, and you text and you email, maybe get on FaceTime, you hope for that rare phone call from your kid, you uh, send care packages, but when she comes home for Christmas, and there's that first dinner when she's sitting right where she should be and for a rightful place around the dinner table. Everything's back to normal. There's nothing like presence, being with in the flesh. This morning we continue in our Advent series called The Gifts of Christmas. What has Jesus given to us as gifts, as presence in his coming, in his Advent, arriving on earth? One of the most valuable gifts that he has given us is his very presence itself. Uh, We're going to ask two questions briefly about his presence with a CE, what it involved and why it's important. First, what it involved. In this lesson four, I I don't know, um, you know, if you're like me, you're too busy marveling at Grace Nichols' marvelous Arabic and having a hard time dis- disciplining yourself to read the, the lesson from Matthew's gospel. But in this lesson number four, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him to name his son Jesus. And then Matthew, the gospel writer, adds this comment that this fulfilled the prophecy by Isaiah from the Old Testament. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a theological term we use to refer to the coming of Jesus into the world. It's incarnation. That theological term simply means in the flesh. Emmanuel is the name that gives personality to this theological idea. And so Jesus, God the Son, eternally existent in spirit form, arrives by taking on human flesh to be fully present with us. This, by the way, uh, is why a Wheaton College professor was placed on administrative leave this week, and, and it hit the national news, not because she expressed solidarity with Muslim neighbors by wearing a headscarf, not because she was trying to be friendly, but because she stated that we worship the same God. Ask any devout Muslim if he or she would agree. There's no, there's no question they would strongly disagree. If for no other reason than the doctrine of the Trinity, and in particular the, the truth underneath Christmas, the, uh, of incarnation, of God's presence with us, that God became 
man. Neither Muslims nor Jews would ever affirm that that is possible, that that is uh, anything less than heresy. Um, This is who Jesus is. This is how he has revealed himself to humanity. And the the idea that God, the divine, would sully himself, would lower himself by taking the form of a human is preposterous to our Muslim and Jewish friends. And the Apostle John writes this in his first letter, no one who denies the Son has the Father. We don't, we don't, um, we, we don't demonstrate crudeness towards our friends and neighbors who uh, are of other world religions, but there's no way we could say and be faithful to the Scriptures that we worship the same God. Well, uh, back, back to um, lesson number four and the idea of incarnation and presence. There's a, an original verse in the great hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. And usually we skip it because it's kind of awkward. But this morning we sang it, and you might have noticed uh, the, the awkwardness of this phrase, God of God, uh, very light of light. And the second line of that stanza says this of the Christ child, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Lo, it's an old word that expresses surprise, amazement, wonder. How could it be? Can you believe that the divine king, the agent of creation himself, stooped so low in humility that he did not abhor, he did not regard with disgust the uterus of a woman? Lo, can you believe it? This is what's so offensive to other world religions, that a deity would interact so intimately with the messy stuff of the flesh. Have you ever been in a delivery room to witness how the baby tucked in his or her mommy's tummy becomes a baby ready to be held and rocked in your arms and marveled at? In between, there's some messy stuff. In between, there's a lot of blood. There are cries of pain. There are terms like meconium. There, there is impossible anatomical stretching. That was the hardest part for me. I, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's more blood. Jesus the King, in his intent to come and be with us, share his very presence, to be enfleshed, did not abhor the womb of the Virgin Mary. Another hymn we sing is Charles Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Here's a stanza we're more familiar with. Offspring of the Virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate in the flesh, deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. No offense to Frosty, Frosty's not a Christmas song. I have no problem with Frosty. It's a fun song. It's, it's winter wonderland. Um, enjoy singing it with your kids, but it's not a Christmas song. That is a Christmas song because that points us to the most amazing miracle of all, that God would become flesh and dwell among us and gift to us his very presence. One more song, uh, which is uh, more contemporary. It's a favorite of mine. It's very earthy. 
at its core, Andrew Peterson's Labor of Love on his Christmas album, and he, he writes this, It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town. Neither Mary nor Jesus got an exemption from full humanity in his coming to be present with us. Present, what it involved. Secondly, present, why it's important. Why was all this necessary? I mentioned that the, the Matthew passage, lesson number four, refers to two names. Each name of Jesus is absolutely necessary. Uh, because the Son cannot fulfill the name of Jesus without first becoming Emmanuel. He can't fulfill the Lord saves, which is what Jesus means from the Hebrew, without first becoming God with us. Salvation, God's rescue from sin's consequence of eternal death, is made possible through the sacrifice of a substitute. Jesus can only take the place of his people if he's fully human like we are. Listen to this poem from uh, a pastor named J. Barry Shepherd, a Brit who ministered in New York City years ago. He wonders whether animals in the stable would have had a more natural sense of the baby's future, Jesus' future. Of all the witnesses around that holy manger, perhaps it was the animals saw best what lay ahead. For they had paced the aching roads, slept in the wet and hungry fields, known the sharp sting of sticks and thorns and curses. They knew suffering. Endured the constant bruise of burdens not their own. They knew substitution. The tendency of men to use and then discard rather than meet and pay the debt of gratitude. For them, the future also held the knacker's rope, the flayer's blade, the tearing of the bodies for the sparing of a race. Animals die for food that we might live. In the shadows of that stable, might it be his warmest welcome lay within their quiet, comprehending gaze. Some of you are very spiritual, but you don't yet believe in the salvation that God has provided in the coming of his son, Jesus. You, you might say that you'd be convinced if God showed you his presence in a very tangible, personal, experiential, sensory, detected way. If God showed up and showed me that he was the king and that all these things were true, I would believe, you'd say. You'd believe if, if he were to get involved in your life by righting every wrong, by guarding you from every tragedy, by revealing himself visibly, but that means what you really want is a genie with you as the master of the genie. You want God to do your bidding to intervene in the world as you set the rules, to be present when you need him, to stay out of the way when you don't. But a genie like that is not worthy of worship. You just keep him in a bottle. He's a convenience. He's a resource to draw on. He's not worthy of your whole life surrendered to his glory in awe 
and wonder. The one true God has revealed himself as the God who has entered time and space in humility as a baby boy born in that little town of Bethlehem. He got his hands dirty. He experienced hunger and thirst, heat and cold, sleepless nights, loneliness, animosity from his own people, abandonment and betrayal by his closest friends. He experienced temptation, although he never gave in to that temptation. But here's the thing. Emmanuel, God with us, should terrify us. It should, at least. Like a drill sergeant showing up for a surprise inspection of the barracks. Like 10 minutes notice that the president and his family would like to have dinner at your house. Home-cooked meal. Like that nightmare that you've shown up for class and you have forgotten that this is the day the paper is due or the exam is being held and you fear that you'll be shown to be an embarrassment, a failure, or worse yet, before God, because He is the holy and just one over all the earth, that you'll be shown to be utterly deserving of eternal judgment in eternal death, separation from Him. But God. Those are what, people? Those are gospel words. But God sent the Son to take on human flesh in order to give us life because he laid down his life in our place. The son was sent on a rescue mission, not on a bounty hunter mission to find the guilty and drag them back into court where they can be convicted and sentenced and punished because though he was sinless, he took the guilt of his believing people. He was sentenced and punished in our place, and he offers us freedom and forgiveness as we trust in him. This is the gift of Christmas, the king's gracious, merciful, compassionate presence among his people, born in order to die. Will you receive this greatest of gifts by trusting in Jesus the Savior? Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at these grandest of truths, this truest of all stories, this real life now and for eternity fairy tale with Jesus as our hero, our rescuer, our savior. Receive the praise of our lives, especially as our celebration of the Savior's birth draws near. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.